you're listening to Trouble Trouble Podcast, and I'm your host, Seth. I'll be your host for this adventure. Before I get started, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll have all the podcasts delivered right to your app of choice. If you made it to the end and enjoyed your experience, leave a review. Thank you so much. All right, what album will I be covering today? I'm covering the Beatles' last album, Let It Be. But before I get into that discussion, I have a special guest joining me today. Let's all welcome Nikki from Nikki Needs an Adult. Hey, Nikki, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk about the Beatles and oh, just so much. Yeah, I know you're a big Beatles fan. And so I was really excited when you agreed to come on the show because we could have one whole episode just like Beatle mania, you know, just go to town. I appreciate that you say that I agreed that I didn't bully you on Twitter so I could be in this episode because that's what actually happened. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying to, uh, I mean, I don't want to call you out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, normally when I have a guest on the show, we sort of talk about their interest in music, how they got started, things like that. So I know that you're a music lover like I am. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your connection to music? So when I was a kid, I grew up in a house that relied heavily on 70s rock. And my mom raised me on Pink Floyd and uh, Black Sabbath. But she is a huge, huge Elton John fan. I grew up listening to Elton John records so much. I'm a little older, so we actually listened to records. And um, my mom had a very large 45 collection that I was allowed to put on the record player by myself. So, yeah, I I was big stuff. Lots of responsibility. (laughs) So we would listen to 45s a lot. And that's kind of where everything came from in the sense that I just listened to music so much, like, throughout my entire childhood. And then, you, I mean, I'm a kid of the 80s. I was born in 1982. So... You had like that 80s period and I have a sister that's 12 years older than I am. So like there's a lot of Boy George and whatnot kind of sprinkled in there. My first concert was Bon Jovi and then uh, when I was six and then um, (laughs) when I was like, let's see, I'm trying to think when I was 13, that's when I got into the Beatles and that became kind of my whole life. It was PBS. PBS had a history of rock and roll documentary. And I heard Eleanor Rigby for the first time and I fell in love. And that's that's where it started. But, I mean, 70s rock, the Beatles, and for sure 100% 90s kid alt music. Like, that was it. And then as I got into my adulthood, I started like indie rock. Because my second favorite band is Modest Mouse. So, the Beatles, Modest Mouse, Pearl Jam. Those are my top three. There you go. See, we have a lot of the same music in common. And I think we have a lot of like the same way we kind of fell in music. uh, What we fell in love with music in common. Because my parents would play like, you know, Elton John. Like all the 70s, Motown. Uh, 50s, 60s, all that sort of stuff, the music they grew up with. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like how I really got into that music. I listened to it so much. And and definitely the Beatles were like a big thing in our household too. What's weird is that my parents didn't listen to the Beatles. My mom had one Beatles album. She had Please Please Me, but we never listened to it. I kind of discovered that on my own. So that that is... Really? Yeah, and that nuts like... It wasn't something I knew a lot. It wasn't something I grew up with. Like, I knew Hey Jude because of the radio. That's like Queen. I didn't know Queen until Wayne's World. My parents didn't play Queen. So, really? Yeah. Wow. I feel kind of lucky, to, I guess, to have, you know, gotten to hear these bands, like, from such a young age then. Right. Like, 
unless you know what Hawkwind is, you, my mom, that's my mom's, like, musical taste. By the way, Hawkwind was Lemmy's first band. That's, that was her thing. That was what she was into? That was what she was into. Rainbow, um, Dio, and oh, Elton gosh. John. All those 80 hair metal uh, bands? Well, like, late 70s hair metal bands, but, like. Oh, yeah. Elton John. Like, I just, and then, like, something happens to you after you have kids because. Then she was like Steve Winwood and Foreigner, but I don't know what happened. But no, Beatles. The Beatles were something I discovered on my own, and it's funny because my love of music is actually how I met. Like, ended up with marrying Ben, and not ended up with my husband. That sounds terrible, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you the age-old question: uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? The Beatles, hands down. Like, I I got into the Rolling Stones this summer. Like, I decided that this summer I would like try really hard. But I'd rather listen to the Beatles any day. See, I'm like one of those people where I just can't pick. I'm just greedy like that. (laughs) I think Ben's kind of like that too. My husband's name is Ben. And I think that he has a nice balance. Like he can look at the situation and like both. But we do have a child whose middle name is Harrison. So you know which one is dominant. (laughs) Yeah, we know who's winning uh, this battle, I guess, (laughs) if you want to call it that even. What is your first memory of music? My first memory of music, Lord, would probably... is my cousins coming over to spend the night at our house and we lived out in the country and we put on my mom's caribou elton john caribou album and played island girl and pretended like we had a band and they gave me a guitar and told me i had to be the guitar player in the back and i was just like like i'm (laughs) I'm much younger than like my sibling and like my sister and my cousin so i was just like thanks and i was just like well i guess i'm just hanging out back here but that's like my first memory (laughs) of music yeah that's amazing you were like i want to be elton john yeah and they were like no you don't wear glasses and i was like four pissy about it rude rude they were just being haters exactly yeah (laughs) so what do you typically look for in music do you are you drawn more by um like the artists the lyrics the style of music i'm a lyric driven person like i need a lyric to say something to me um and i think sometimes that's why i never been one to say i like pop music because sometimes it's just a lot of repetitive lyrics but then there's sometimes where pop music will kind of hit me a certain way like my girls love harry styles like somebody else i'm talking to right now i mean who doesn't though what a gorgeous man (laughs) but and i love the song cherry like that song hits me hard yeah i like what's it like called tiny creatures young creatures i don't know i don't know it's the the one that's like the acoustic it's acoustic on his album which album just him the new one Listen, the fact that I know more about Harry Styles than you is disturbing to me. I just look at the pictures. I liked his <laughs> Vogue cover. Is that was it Vogue? Yeah, I've been looking for it because the girls want it and I cannot find it anywhere. Who knew that Lafayette West Lafayette, Indiana, I couldn't find a man in a dress on a Vogue cover. Yeah, you would think they would um th- it's in Indiana if if none of you know. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's a very conservative town, even by indiana standards you know it's not as liberal as indianapolis or or bloomington or some of the other cities hey we were blue we were blue for the election and bloomington wasn't oh yeah that was crazy i don't know what happened i think there's a lot more country people in bloomington now i think so too and a lot of meth (laughs) lots of meth lots of meth is that new uh no 
But there's no, less meth here and more heroin. I don't know. We've got problems. But West Lafayette's where Purdue is, <laughs> and Seth says it smells bad. It does smell bad. So, you know, the when you go to um, Indiana University, they tell you if you want to go to Purdue, you have to go up north uh, until you smell it, and then you go west until you step in it. And that's where I live, is where you step in it. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I didn't go to college at Purdue. I really I my emphasis in behind this is very small because I did not go to Purdue. <laughs> I went to USI, a college nobody's heard of in Evansville. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. I just live here. I just I, live <laughs> here. I just I just reap the the benefits of having college students around. There you go. All right. So what music are you listening to now? Do you kind of listen to things like that you're like the classics or are you finding new bands? I have a hard time finding new bands because I'm old. So I I like music I can relate to. And when I listen to it, it's drawn to like I didn't know that MGMT, which I could still call management because that's originally what it was called. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but MGMT put out an album in 2016, and I was like, oh, that's new. And then I was like, oh, it was new four years ago. Damn. <laughs> but I love that band. Like, early 2000s indie, I'll listen to a lot. I love Stevie Nicks. She's my everything. I went Solo? Uh, yeah. Solo Stevie Nicks? Oh, both. Both. But okay. I mean, like... I love her. She, she. I want to be Stevie Nicks when I grow up, and I'm. <laughs> yeah, I want to be Stevie Nicks too. I don't know. She just like seems like the coolest person. I mean, her behind the music is one of my favorites. Just gonna say it, but like, no, <laughs> I'm mostly like. I guess the benefit I have is that I have a daughter that's 16, so she's kind of like stop. And I had to make her own playlist, which means I handed her my phone and she made like a play- playlist for herself. And that's kind of how I've learned about different things. Like we had to listen to Frank Iero's cover of Losing My Religion because she was really excited about that. Oh, yeah. If uh, if you could only take one album to an island, what would it be? The White Album because it's two discs. There's plenty to listen to. <laughs> so you're, is that your favorite Beatles album? No. Revolver's my favorite Beatles album, but I but. Good Day Sunshine gets on my nerves and it's not my favorite song in the world, but like the White Album has a little bit of everything and it has like some of the best bits of George and Ringo on it. So I like that. But the White Album, a little Beatles info is basically a solo album made by four people because that's when they started to really hate each other. Right. And and that's definitely a good segue into (laughs) into (laughs) getting to talking about the albums that we're talking about today. Right. Because... Somehow we ended up picking the most uh, two contentious periods <laughs> of album making in the Beatles history. <laughs> there were a lot of people not very happy. So, all right. Well, let me tell you about the records that we are covering. Nikki chose for us to cover another Beatles album today, Abbey Road. The real last album. Yeah. No. It's not the real last album. It I read made- an article about it, and they said that it wasn't the real last a- album because there were still recording sessions after Abbey Road was put out. Technically, if you live in North America, which we both do, the last album of the Beatles to come out was in 1970, and it was Hey Jude, which were B-sides from Let It Be and Abbey Road. So both of us are technically wrong. I don't know. It's going to be like, it's like one of those questions that's like, why is the sky blue? Like, people are just going to fight over it, I think. Probably, but I know I'm right. So we can go with it. <laughs> well, I think I'm right. So <laughs> we'll see how this podcast goes. <laughs> All right. Right. So the story of Abbey Road and Let It Be are sort of intertwined. So I'll give you the backstory to these albums together. The Beatles are, of course, made up of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. 
It seems a bit silly to have to say that, but you never know. (laughs) After the release of the White Album, which really was a self-titled album, the Beatles were on rocky terms. Oftentimes, the members would not be recording together like they used to. Paul realized that the band was in danger of fracturing even more, and if they kept working separately, he wasn't sure what would happen. (laughs) (laughs) So after their manager, Brian Epstein, had died uh, the year before in 1967, there really wasn't anyone to mediate between the members of the band anymore. So Paul had the idea of doing a live album. The project was initially titled Get Back, but would later end up as Let It Be. So to give you an idea of the origin of the album, in the anthology, Paul said, quote, We started Let It Be in January 1969 at Twickenham Studios under the working title Get Back. Michael Lindsay Hogg was the director. The idea was that you'd see the Beatles rehearsing, jamming, getting their act together, and then finally performing somewhere in a big end-of-show concert. We would show how the whole process worked. I remember I had an idea for the final scene, which would be a massive tracking shot forever and ever, and then we'd be in the concert. The original idea was to go on an ocean liner and get away from the world. You would see us rehearsing, and then you'd finally see the payoff. But we ended up in Twickenham. I think it was a safer situation for the director and everybody. Nobody was that keen on going on an ocean liner anyway. (laughs) It was a bit fraught between us at that point because we'd been together a long time and cracks were beginning to appear, end quote. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine? I mean, there was so much friction at that period of time that like, and I mean, my favorite Beatles story is when Ringo said he was going to leave and then he went to each member and they were like, oh, Ringo, it'll be okay. And he showed up at the studio and there were flowers. Like, it was bad. Like, it was was so bad. If they were on that boat, then there would have been nothing. Paul McCartney would have. Because Paul was, everybody says that, like, Yoko killed the Beatles or John killed the Beatles. John and Paul killed the Beatles because, like, it was just too much. And, and, yeah, they would have killed each other. Yeah, I mean, the talent between those two... I think they just sort of got to the point where they realized they were kind of interested in going in different directions. And yeah, it, it's it's tough. It's, it's It sucks because, of course, we all love the Beatles. But then, you know, later on, of course, you know, they would start releasing their own music. And that's also good. <laughs> well, like between Let It Be and Abbey Road, the ballot, like um, Two Virgins came out. And then right. Paul McCartney was writing McCartney during that because um broken hearted jubilee which is on the third the last anthology album cd but however that <laughs> that song that's on mccartney was originally recorded to go on abbey road and then it ended up not happening and even like the fact that phil specter made let it be and george martin who should you know like was pushed out like it was just it was just so messed up because like john lennon for all of his faults, and there are many, 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 <laughs> yeah. many, many, needed structure, and Phil Spector wasn't giving him that, and he was being encouraged to be less structured, and and that kind of, he, he couldn't, like, create in that environment correctly. Right, which is also sort of like, you can see in the dynamic between him and Yoko, because Yoko was, like, momming him. <laughs> yeah, and but that's what he wanted. Right. 
Yeah, and so yeah, he needed the he definitely needed the structure, <laughs> right? And but Phil Spector doesn't doesn't want artists to be structured. He also wants to murder people, but he doesn't want artists to be yeah. structured. He wants artists to kind of flow the way they want to, and so that's why when Abbey Road got made, Paul went to George Martin and said, "I want to make one more album, and you know, one more like." And, and George Martin said, "Listen, it has to one be an album like it used to be, and two, you have to follow my rules." And John kind of threw a hissy fit, and George was like, "I won't do this, and you won't get an album unless you follow my rules." Right? Yeah, yeah. This is sort of like where they were like. Yeah. Well, let me continue with this story. We'll kind of get a little bit more into this. Sorry, see, I knew I was going to do that. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this. So while Paul and Ringo were okay going on the road to make this project, however, John and George were not. And John was getting tired of being filmed in rehearsal all day long. John was also using heroin at this point in his life. There were lots of arguments during rehearsals that led to George temporarily quitting the band. Mm-hmm. After they finished the Get Back sessions, the Beatles decided the quality of the album put together by producer Glenn Johns was substandard. Instead, they decided to put this project on the back burner and continued recording for an album that would be known as Abbey Road. So that's kind of that's what Nikki was talking about. They decided they wanted to do the a different album. Right. So Abbey Road was released in the fall of 1969. In September of that year, John said that he wanted a divorce from the band. The Beatles' new manager, Alan Klein, decided that since the Get Back sessions have already been taped, that he would release them as a movie to satisfy the requirements of their recording contract. Of course, there would need to be a soundtrack for the movie. So there were more recording sessions in January 1970 to put together the soundtrack. George recalled of those recording sessions, quote, It was just weird vibes. It was just too difficult. There were just too many limitations based on our being together for so long. It was frustrating, end quote. Glenn Johns put together another Get Back album, which was subsequently also rejected for being substandard. So they brought in Phil Spector to make the album, George also insisted that his friend and keyboardist Billy Preston would join the band. The name of the album and movie would be called Let It Be to coincide with their next single. A lot of tense moments from rehearsals were actually left in the movie to add some shock value to it. (laughs) As I said before, the album was to show these rehearsals as a build-up to the live show, which was done on the rooftop show on January 30th, 1969. Also, the last time the Beatles would ever perform together live. The final recording session for Let It Be... The album occurred on April 1st, 1970, when Phil Spector recorded the string parts for the songs Across the Universe, I Me Mine, The Long and Winding Road. Paul was not consulted for any of these recording sessions either. Ringo came in to track more drum parts as well. With the recent announcement that the Beatles had broken up, as well as Paul McCartney's uh, number one album, McCartney, on the Billboard chart, And John's song, Instant Karma, the single, still on the singles chart, the long-awaited Let It Be album was surely to do well. On May 8, 1970, the Beatles' 12th album, Let It Be, came out. While the album did well, it did not hold up to the previous album, Abbey Road. 
In 2003, the album entitled Let It Be Naked, which is yes. uh, which stripped away all of the Phil Spector overproduction. Most fans favor this version of the album today. Same. Same. <laughs> Nikki agrees. <laughs> so normally we move on to talking about the themes of the album. Clearly the theme of Let It Be was as fragmented as the recording of it. Art portraying life. Even though it sparked massive hits like title track Let It Be, Get Back, and I've Got a Feeling, the album is much different than the coherent Abbey Road album. Around the recording of this album, Paul McCartney said, quote, I don't like people explaining albums. The only way you can explain it is to hear it. You can't really use words about music. Otherwise, we do a talking album. The album is the explanation, and it's up to you to make sure what you want of it. There's no theme to Abbey Road. There never is a theme to any of our albums, although some people saw one in Sgt. Pepper. Quote, So we shall honor Sir Paul's request and not discuss the themes on either of these albums. That's baloney. (laughs) But what we will do are talk about some of our favorite songs and lyrics. So before we do that, I just want to I want to get your response to Paul's quote. He's so full of it. I swear to God. Okay, so at <laughs> Abbey Road, John wanted to make one side of it a John album and one side of it a Paul album. That's why it's inconsistent. That's why you go from like, you know, uh, uh, because and uh, something like that's why you have and come together. That's why you have those songs which are very indicative of their time to like me mr mustard paula theme pam she came in through the bathroom window which is one of my favorite songs of all time like those are different because that was paul because george martin and paul liked how in sergeant peppers the songs flowed together it's not because he doesn't want there to be a theme it's because the album's inconsistent and john lennon famously said he hated abbey road because paul made it a doo-woppy pop album on one side and he was trying to make actual music he was also on heroin, like you said, so that had a lot to do with that. That definitely did have a that, lot to do with that. That did have a lot to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess kind of to get into our discussion, we'll start first with Let It Be. You know, this record, of course, starts off with two of us. I don't know. I think there's just something kind of like innocent and sweet and nice about this one. It's about Linda and Paul. So yeah, it's like when they started dating. So it, it should be. It should be. It should be. Uh, there's a gr- Yeah, then we have, of course, Dig a Pony. Also, also a really that's a john song right yeah i love that song yeah yeah that's sort of like a um almost like a train of thought type song yeah i really like that one and then of course we have the the mega hit across the universe (laughs) from john i mean it's a pretty song yoko actually helped him with the lyrics to it it mean it's 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 cute it's nice but Fiona Apple does a cover, and I'm not a big fan of Beatles covers, but Fiona Apple's cover across the universe is amazing. Yeah, I totally endorse that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's nice, but I think Fiona, it, it, the female voice it lends a lot to it. It does, because on this, you know, with John on this track, he's kind of like has more of an airy voice than he has sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And I just really like this. This is sort of um influence like the the remnants of their influence from their Indian culture, right? Because, you know, you of course have the Jai Guru Deva. Yeah. Saying. I would I would think so, but that was George's thing. George helped him put that in there. Yeah. And it's nice because it kinda is like a drone, like the chorus of this song. Right. It's it's like a mantra, I would say so. But and, and that's exactly what it is. 
the thing about their time in India, it's kind of funny because like the ones who got the most out of it were probably John and Paul. Ringo and George were miserable and then George ended up becoming Hindu later. But like he kind of used it for John. Like I said, I love him. I love I love you. <laughs> but like he did. He, he used it for more publicity, but it is a beautiful song. Like you, he wrote it. It's a beautiful song. It's great. It's just like I mean, mine is far better than Across the Universe. Well, and uh, yeah, I was going to say this album is a little bit atypical because this has two George songs on it, right? right. Well, I mean, yeah. once you get into the White Album, George has more songs into it. But like, I think you get more hits. And that's what's nice about Hey Jude, which is not what we're talking about. But he's on a lot of the <laughs> B-sides. But yeah. You're right. Um, I mean, mine is a much better song. Right. Because he, he sort of was like the one that would get the B side of the single. But until he wrote something, which was the A side. And maybe, I don't know, I guess can be debated if that's his best song that he wrote for the Beatles. If you ask, well, the, most of them are dead. But if you ask any of the members of the Beatles, that is the best song that they did on, Ab- on Abbey Road. Like they all think something is the best song. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that song's just so beautiful. Yeah, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. I can't. Later. I gotta stay focused. <laughs> okay, so where we so we across the universe, and then it's I Me Mine, right? Yeah, I Me Mine. Yeah, that's another a really great George song. I I do kind of like I like kind of like his more uh, Indian inspired songs, but this is still a pretty entertaining one. Yeah, I I I like these songs that he does because it shows his like bluesy roots. And John is I know that there are people out there who like Eric Clapton. But that's enough because George was incredibly <laughs> talented and it shows his like actual ability to play guitar. I love I Me Mine and I, I think Phil Spector kind of ruined it by putting all the extra stuff in it. But it is a great song. I really do. It's probably one of my favorites off the whole album. I actually listened to Let It Be Naked today. Normally mm-hmm. I just listen to the Phil Spector version and I was like, wow, this is a totally different album. Exactly. It is. Well, I hadn't heard it until I met Ben and Ben's the one because like, I'm like, I'm a Beatle fan. He's like, listen to this. And so. So it is much, much better. Yeah, it, it's it very interesting. So then, of course, you have a, a little clip snippet of a song called Dig It <laughs> from John Lennon. It, you know, it's not very, uh, the, the, the lyrics aren't very deep, but it's still a pretty entertaining song. I just like yelling, dig it, dig it. <laughs> well, that's kind of what they did after Rubber Soul. Um, You would find little snippets of songs in albums like that and even like Her Majesty on Abbey Road, which we'll talk about in a second. They like to put those little snippets in there. Definitely. Uh, so then we have, of course, super big song, Let It Be, after Dig It. Linda McCartney is singing backup in this song. Yes. she Didn't she play some percussion on some song, other songs as well? Not in the Beatles. Not until Wings. Oh, uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah. No, she was Queen Tambourine when it came to wings but yeah um she definitely does background vocal and let it be and the song's about his mom yeah that we'll see and this is what i was gonna ask you too is because oh shoot i can't remember his name oh there was like one of the crew members or maybe it was i don't want to i don't think it was neil aspinall was it part brian epstein there was somebody that basically said it was about like his mom and that paul just adapted it to be about him I don't know. Paul's mom died of breast cancer when he was younger, um, and her name was actually Mary. Mary. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's about his mom, because like that was something that like John and Paul always kind of had was their like their the tragedy of losing your mother. So I I bet you it was. What is his first name? Parsons. Is it Neil Parsons? Because he made the Neil Parsons. Neil Parsons. Yeah. 
He was a part of that album. He helped produce it. Yeah, I was like, I wish, I really wish I had written this down because to I, I believe the Paul story about it being his mom. Like to me, th- and this was someone that died young, like just after the album had been put out. I think right. I don't the person that was like contradicting Paul's story. I don't know if I remember. I'll try and tweet about it. Well, <laughs> I will. I will say this: like if it's not true, I don't care. In my head, it's always going to be about Paul's right. mom you know right because um, it was called something else like because i remember in the first version when it was about quote unquote the other person it was like brother paul or something or instead of mother mary yeah i've never heard that and like no so no it's not about that <laughs> so yeah I, yeah i'm sorry i'm not trying to be defensive but like i need that to be about his mom yeah i mean it's such a beautiful song have you ever seen paul mccartney live before um no because no like i he came to fort wayne <laughs> and the tickets were 800 dollars a seat and i'd already had a child by then so poor yeah dude it is so expensive to get tickets to a paul mccartney concert like i i totally feel you now ringo tours a lot and i remember i was pregnant with my youngest daughter the last time he was around here he likes to do indiana casinos and i was like let's go and no it was way too close to my due date so i couldn't go no i i feel very very lucky to have gotten to see paul mccartney live for free okay <laughs> can we talk about something else then because <laughs> that's just rude <laughs> i um i was uh i worked for a company out in los angeles that did the uh, audiences for the jimmy kimmel show mm-hmm. and so they did um a paul mccartney you know how they have the music guests and Uh they had a stage on hollywood boulevard and i think you know there was they shut down a good portion of it but Mm -hmm. people were going crazy like you know there's the hollywood highland mall right there people were going in stores just to try and get a glimpse of paul mccartney like overhead i think they said the final count was there were like ten thousand people there like on hollywood boulevard when you talk about toxic fandom sometimes we beatles fans can be those people because we would kill your mom to see one of them yeah it was crazy so so i got to see him and i remember like i wasn't like so close to the stage and then eventually like once the actual concert started i was like whatever like if i get in trouble i get in trouble but i'm going to see paul mccartney (laughs) (laughs) up close i would have been like screw it yeah well, I went up closer because there were like different like sections of the right. audience. They had like sort of like blocks or whatever. And so I worked my way up to the, you know, the block right up on the stage. And then I was, you know, really enjoying that. And then I was like, I saw some of the um, people were trying to like, there's sort of um, like a, a pathway through the audience to the mm-hmm. front of the stage for the cameraman. So I sort of went up. I just was like, all right, like feeling real risky i was like i'm just walking right up to the stage so i walked down the little pathway and just kind of like stood up there uh right in front of paul mccartney just for like maybe a minute 30 seconds to a minute or something like that just to have that experience and i was like this is the best day of my (laughs) life this is the best day of my life there's an ongoing like thing with people who know me that if paul mccartney or ringo star knocked on my door i would pee my pants and start bawling because like i don't know if this happens for like all people but the beatles kind of filled like a huge part of myself when i was a kid especially going through puberty and like the weird life that i had so it would be like meeting one of my four dads that's how big of a deal it would be and that's pathetic because i don't know them but that's how it would be no i totally feel you i mean i was very very anxious the closer i got to him (laughs) 
what are there um what other songs are there on here that you would want to talk about i know we got to talk about get back that's a classic i mean get back's a good song i do like it i like the fact that um it was kind of sensational for the time because it talks about a trans woman and that was not something that was discussed at all especially in england especially at that time but you know it was like a really big deal and then like lola came out and i mean david bowie came later but still like it was a big deal and then uh, lou reed with walk on the wild oh, yeah, side i forgot about that yeah but i don't That's think you can one. sing that song anymore like it's just too much yeah since he passed no since like the Her. the chorus in it is says colored girls in it i don't think it's okay yeah that's not well that's not relevant term at this time yeah, exactly <laughs> a, that's why like it was it, maybe. was it came up on my spotify the other day and i was like i'm gonna turn this down now yeah and i i kind of like when i listen to that song i kind of omit that part and i just sing along with the do 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 exactly that was a really big deal the other the other thing that people don't know is that the one after 909 was recorded by them a long time before wait before they had their first american release and then they decided to do it again on let it be because it never been released on a um, north american album so like if you like the devil tries but the beatles try harder because like they had no reason to do that song again and they were just like screw it and then the guitar in that album isn't George, it's Eric Clapton. Right, yeah. And then because on Abbey Road, Here Comes the Sun, wasn't that written in Eric Clapton's garden? Yes. And then eventually Eric Clapton stole George's wife. <laughs> if you've never seen the, um, oh, what is his name? Famous director. Uh, 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 Scorsese? Scorsese. Okay, so Scor- yeah. Scorsese did a documentary about George Harrison. And he talks to Patty... Um, and then he talked, who was at the time George Harrison's wife, and he talks to Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton's like, I just walked up to him and was like, hey, I'm going to take your wife. And he was cool about it. And Patty's like, he threw a fit and punched a hole in the wall, and he was freaking out, and his heart was broken. So, like, Eric Clapton's a douche. The end. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> not cool, bro. No, not, <laughs> not cool. Not bro at all. code. Because, like, George Harrison was always kind of known as the quiet one, but he also had a really bad temper, and it just, he took advantage of a situation. And he's not that great. I just, I don't like Eric Clapton. I respect him for who he is, but I, I can't say that I listen to and know his catalog as much as I do of like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. I just don't think that he's all he's correct. I, like, you're, I'm, people are going to hate me for saying this. I know that, I just don't think he's Yeah, all he's this is Nikki, by the way, talking yeah, about hating repre- Eric Clapton. <laughs> I do not represent the opinions or views of Trouble Trouble Podcast. They are my own. <laughs> and of course, there's another great song we should talk about is I've Got a Feeling another wonderful that's song that's a great song that's an amazing song yeah that's another great paul one and his, so i guess his vocal range on that song because he's a tenor right but his vocal range on that song is awesome and i think i want to say this about let it be paul is known for like a lot of things but his bass playing on that album is probably my favorite that that definitely doesn't get discussed but that song has such a different note from and i've never heard paul do another song like that so i it's a special song for sure right and there's a lot of paul yelling on this album yeah it's pretty hot (laughs) i'm really into it (laughs) (laughs) so i have a couple lyrics to just discuss and this of course is from the song let it be how can you not this is such a great song right Um, So I really like the lyric. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. 
Nice. I think that's just a really great mantra to sort of like help you get through life, don't you? I think too, because like if you're Catholic, Seth's not, but I'm I was. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I was once upon a time. So like the idea of being in like solitude to pray or being in your confessional and like ha- and and then like having that person to guide you because we believe in some hocus pocus shit. So like to have to have that or to think that his mother passed away and that he feels her presence. Like it's very spur. It's spur. It's very spiritually affirming <laughs> for someone who wasn't a very spiritual person. Because like that's not Paul. Paul's not George and he's not John. So that's kind of a big right. deal. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's just a a great reminder too because you know of course life can be hard and right. you know things like that it's just like are, like sometimes you just can't help like things happen you can't change things you can't change everything so sometimes you just have to be like you know let it be like move on right that sort of thing i think the thing about john is that he's a very abstract lyricist and that's why his pull and his popularity always worked once they got out of their like 60s pop time well, I mean, they were always 60s pop, but they got out of that beginning, like, please, please me, I want to hold your hand thing. The thing about Paul was that he's an empathetic lyricist. So that's why he can write songs like Ono Rigby or um, uh, Let It Be, because when he sings, not only is he saying, I feel this way, but he knows you feel that way. And that brings something to the table that other people who write music can't always do. The only other person I know who does that is Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder is excellent at being an empathetic lyricist. Very much so. And and he often covers Beatles tunes in his live shows. <laughs> yeah, he does. I've seen Pearl Jam live. I have seen them. Yeah. Best Good. concert yeah, I've ever too. been to. Yeah. Same. Definitely at the top of my list. Yeah, Absolutely. I saw them cover I've Got a Feeling, actually, from this album. <laughs> <laughs> and also Help. I saw them cover Help. Yeah, they did Help when I saw them, too. Yeah. Uh, so one more lyric from this album to discuss real quick. In Get Back, Paul writes, Oh, Get Back. Yeah, get back, get back right to where you once belonged. And to me, I sort of interpreted this as him sort of being like missing how the band used to be. That could be. I kind of always taken it as him, like the narrate. He's being like a narrator saying that, like telling these people who are living abstract lives to get back to where like he's, he's supposed to be like the antagonist to the story. So that's how I've always taken it, but that's probably what he meant is what you said. <laughs> well, well, and also too, this, you know, you have to remember this was supposed to be the live album. So, you know, he's seen Get Back to Where You Once Belong. And this was, I think, uh, his way of trying to get them back to being like a live performing band. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good point. That, that could be it too. You were way better at that than what I was because I've always taken it as like he was the narrator. One day when we're alone, I will tell you about Band on the Run and how I misunderstood that song until like a year ago. I just, I right. always know the best. <laughs> there, was, there is one song we haven't talked about and that's The Long and Winding Road. That song, because I you saying that, I wonder if that's actually about them getting back to being like together. I think so. You know, about... um especially with Paul and, and George, or I'm sorry, Paul and John, you know, that writing duo, they sort of had that relationship they had is not there as much. <laughs> I always thought, like he's always said it's about him and Linda about getting to the point. Cause like he had a very long relationship in, in, before and then he had broken up with her and then went through and then ended up with Linda. And he always said that that was about him getting that whole like writing time period for him was about him getting to Linda to their marriage and blah, blah, blah. But 
Yeah, I, I definitely wonder if it's actually about John. They wrote about each other in secret a lot, so. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, well, there's, you know, p- uh, posthumously uh, Beatles uh, solo John, or I'm sorry, solo Paul, where he wrote Let Me Roll It, which is totally about trying to get, you know, his relationship back with John. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think that. Thank you. I just got some new perspective from Seth. That's awesome. There you go. all right let's keep this podcast a move in so we're going to transition into talking more about abbey road (laughs) so to elaborate a little bit more on abbey road the album the first sessions for abbey road began on the 22nd of february in 1969 only three weeks after the get back sessions Overdubs and final sequencing of the album occurred on August 20th, which was the last time all four Beatles were in the recording studio together. Right. During this recording of the album, uh, of this album, John Lennon's wife, Yoko Ono, became a permanent fixture in the studio, which caused a lot of tension between the band members. To illustrate that, after John and Yoko were in a car crash, the doctor said that Yoko should remain in bed to heal. So John had a bed brought into the recording studio for her. Uh, Lennon ultimately said that he disliked Abbey Road as a whole and felt it lacked authenticity, calling McCartney's contributions, quote, music for the grannies to dig and not real songs. And describing the melody as, quote, junk, just bits of song thrown together. <laughs> and, he, and Paul McCartney has a song called Junk because he said that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah and one it's of his all solo. McCartney. Yeah. I was like, wow. Like, tell us how you really <laughs> feel, John. That's like pretty brutal. The thing about the Yoko-ness, how bad it must have been, Linda was there too. And so was Patty. And so was Ringo's first wife, whose name I just forgot. But not, you know, like, yeah, that's a really sad story. Like, like Ringo doesn't get enough credit at all. So, like, he didn't have any tumultuous love affairs. So, like, he was married to his first wife. She passed away of brain cancer. And then she ma- he married a Bond girl, for Christ's sakes. He had a liquor problem. He got <laughs> clean. And then he was Mr. Conductor. No one talks about that. Yeah. Ringo, yeah, I know, like, I have a friend who Ringo is their favorite Beatle. And... I just don't get it. <laughs> he, but that, but he has, there are people that are like, really like, Ringo's the best. He has the most, in my opinion, he has the most interesting personal story. Does that make sense? Like his personal story is the most interesting. Um, also, this is a really weird fact about me. I'm not trying to be morbid. I just see death as a part of life. And since forever, I've always said at my funeral, I want them to play Octopus's Garden because it's such a silly song. <laughs> yeah octopus's garden that was written after he, ringo had quit the band right. he went on like a boat trip and then got the idea for the song from right. there so he is the only Beatles song he gets full little lyrical credit for even so though it says um sturkey harrison or star harrison depending on where you got the album from but the other <laughs> interesting fact is is that george harrison wrote the melody for that song which he also wrote the melody for um, number two solo, not his two top solo hits, <laughs> Back Off Boogaloo and um, It Don't Come Easy. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I think that's very cool. I mean, I just, I, he just makes my heart feel good. Unlike Maxwell Silverhammer, which is about killing the Pope. So, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
in Maxwell Silver Hammer, I think it's really funny watching like the recording clips from that session because there's legit just like an anvil <laughs> with a hammer. And right. Like, I don't know. It makes me laugh. Um, that was supposed to be on Let It Be, and they thought that the concept was too convoluted to be on Let It Be, which it would have not made zero sense on that album. No, definitely not. It definitely fits on Abbey Road, but we also only know it on Abbey Road. So, <laughs> and I and, the, and another interesting on the first song come together yeah uh something that people may not know is you know like the little sort of whisper thing at the beginning um john is saying shoot me yeah and so people think like it was him predicting his own death cute i don't think so i don't think so (laughs) i (laughs) I wouldn't go with cute but like it's cute that people Uh, think that is what i'm saying oh i see yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay (laughs) you're like nikki that's bizarre (laughs) like you are morbid um do you know that okay so come together was something that he did with timothy leary but it had a longer title and then he wrote it differently for the beatles but yeah it's originally from like a timothy leary and him thing yes definitely um yeah also something something is a really great it's a romantic song i think don't a lot of people play this at like their weddings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, they played it at dances when I was in high school. Yeah, my um my one of my friends, other friends is a uh, George Harrison is her favorite. Yeah, Beatle, he's very popular also. in my household. Yes. And she she named her firstborn after George, so his name is George. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My daughter's middle name is Harrison, so yeah. Yeah, so you kind of have that connection in that yeah. way. But this is this is her favorite song, something. A, a lot of people think it's like the best Beatles song ever written. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. See, because I'm really partial to uh, Here Comes the Sun, which is a little bit later in the album. Another George Harrison song. Hey, I have a tattoo from Beatles 69, just so you know. Do you? Yeah, it's a red umbrella. Yeah. I have a red umbrella. It's the one that Ringo holds, and it says 69 on the, or 65. But yeah, it's on the bottom. Yeah, Beatles 65 is what album that is. True Beatles fan right there. You got permanent uh, fixture to your body. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing about something is that, so Apple Studios had already signed James Taylor. And James Taylor and George Harrison had been working on the something lyric. And then George Harrison wrote after that. So that was inspired by James Taylor. But you can kind of tell, like, something's a very James Taylor kind of song. Very much so. And I love James Taylor, too. Yeah, absolutely. Who do- who doesn't love Fire and Rain? You know, I um I went to see John Williams conduct at the Hollywood Bowl one time. Mm-hmm. And he brought out James Taylor. And they, I guess, I don't, I think they did a song where, like, John Williams wrote the music. And then John... Um, Gosh, all these names are getting mixed together in my well, brain. Back then, everybody's name was James John. Taylor. Yeah, yeah. And then James Taylor wrote like a spoken word to it, so he brought him out to do that. And then John Williams, or uh, yeah, John Williams let James Taylor just play "Fire and Rain" for everybody. Oh, that's awesome! And I was like, uh, like the people I went with were like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "I hate you all. This is the coolest <laughs> thing ever." But that's the that's the cool thing about. Abby wrote like Billy Preston plays in Get Back, or no, he plays he he's not in Get Back because the first song ever recorded off of Abby Road was um oh I just forgot the name of the song it's a Paul song it's on Abby Road yeah what, what's the <laughs> name will, of the song maybe it, maybe we'll keep talking and it'll okay, jar your brain thanks that's just the All album right. I picked I can't think of the song that's a good sign <laughs> <laughs> so um I really like the song Oh Darling I think you know that's, that's just it. a really good rock and roll song is that's that it that's the one Billy Preston's on there, there we go. go yeah 
We did it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I thought was really interesting about the recording of this song is that Paul wanted his voice like to sound a certain way. So he would come into the studio like hours before the rest of the band and just scream basically right. into the microphone and to the point where his voice was like almost gone so that he could like achieve this sound to his voice that he wanted what a we like people now are like lemon and honey and don't talk to me like aretha franklin with the air conditioning and stuff and paul mccartney's like ah in the background trying to sound like <laughs> janice joplin yeah and didn't didn't um didn't paul play drums on the first four songs of this album yeah because Ra- this is Ringo when they're didn't, fighting like quit the band he was making a movie so Ringo was making a movie when they made the first four albums. Yeah, and they were, and Paul was being impatient, <laughs> and he recorded the drums, right? It was, and bass. Yeah, because like I don't know if this is true because I don't play a musical instrument, but I have a family with everybody else who does. And from what I understand, if you if you're in the rhythm section, you have to have a good idea of how they work. So that's kind of how it goes, um, because like my daughter plays the bass, so like she. She knows how it all works within each other, but George Martin had to tell Paul to calm the F down. Like, he was like, you can't do this anymore. Yeah, because then they're, like, verging on hurting other band members' feelings, too. <laughs> right, because Ringo is very... He's a very sensitive man. He is. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoy the song, I Want You, She's So Heavy. Uh, I know this is a song that John wrote about Yoko, yeah. but I just think this is such a sexy song, like, to play for someone that you're attracted Into? to. Yeah, it is a really... Pr- it, it's a really, like diverse song. and that's when i said that when i talked about how john lennon was an abstract lyricist and then like paul mccartney was an empathetic like here's this song about the woman that he loves but it's like this abstract she's so heavy no woman would ever want to be told that she's heavy kind of thing but like he, he wrote it and, and you can feel like his passion in it which is more important than than the empathy for him right so that's another good one then of course you start outside too with here comes the sun which i think is just like to me, this song kind of has the same feeling as All Apologies from Nirvana, their, the unplugged version. Like, to right. me, like, those two songs, like, they just, like, for some reason, center my soul. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like, uh, it feels like synesthesia almost, like, where you can kind of, like, see the the colors of the songs. I don't know. That doesn't happen to me very often. But for those two songs, I'm really into it. No, I agree. And for George... It, it's very playful because George is very serious about what so it's a very playful song and then um the uh, the thing about that song and once again I don't know anything about how music is made but the way it's recorded and the way it's tracked is very strange so if you listen to it on a certain kind of listening device it won't sound the same as another kind of listening device that's why when they had to like you couldn't listen to it on a tape but you could on CD do I know what I'm talking about right now Seth sure okay you don't I don't know. I've always heard that. I'll too. go with it. Because, like, um, they can't play it on the radio. Like, regular radio, you won't hear that song. I feel like I hear it on the radio. I don't know. Someone... It, I know what, that I know what I'm talking about in a sense, but I don't know the right words to make it correct. Right. I'm going to look right. it up and tweet about it, and then we'll, it'll be yes. fine. We'll, we'll get it straightened out for we'll you listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, just, I know that it has something to do with the way that the tracking is done. It's very specific because it has synthesize stuff in it, and it was the 70s or the late 60s. Yes, definitely. Um, so then we have, of course, is this the only acapella song? Because? Yeah. Yeah. Because they were trying to put, weren't they trying to put, like, instrumentation to it? But then they were like, no, it should just be acapella. Right. Which is perfect. And I like that it's on Abbey Road because it's their final, I don't care what anyone says, it's their final piece <laughs> together. So you get to hear them together. 
and and it it's a nice bookend to their story totally and and this is sort of like the um uh the transition you know sort of into the the final medley i mean i guess you have you never give me your money which but that's at the end too so they kind of go together but you have that um the song where they're um the soul you know what i'm talking about sun king yeah sun king yeah Mm -hmm. so like you have that in between which i'm i i love to listen to at night because i have no idea what the hell they're saying and then (laughs) um so you have that and then you get into um you never give me your money and then you get into like that pattern and then you have one of my favorite songs of all time um you came in through the bathroom window she came in through the bath you didn't but she did she did yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, this sort of starts off the and this is sort of like you know it's i mean it's known as a medley it's it's a like kind of a cohesive thing it all kind of interweaves it's so it goes from sun king into mean mr mustard into polythene pam into she came in through the bathroom window into golden slumbers which is so good and then into carry that weight and then the end and then of course it does wrap up with her majesty which was like an outtake from a rehearsal from paul and polythene pam and get back are like um daughter and cracked review mirror they go together they because polythene pam is so good looking but she looks like a man you can see her in tech just in the polythene pack goes with jojo jojo was a man who thought she was a woman definitely and it wasn't she came in through the bathroom window like inspired by like a news article or something yep I don't know why I love that song so much. And I love it with a passion that is ridiculous. But that whole thing, like, um, she came in through the bathroom window protected by her silver spoon. Now she sucks her thumbs, thumb and wonders by the banks of her own lagoon. The imagery in my head, and I'm not the kind of person that sees pictures when they close their eyes and imagines things. I don't know. I'm broken. So, like, but I can <laughs> actually see, like, a, an adult woman, like, in the 60s sucking her thumb by the, like, bathtub. Like, it it causes, like, a really good imagery behind it. I just, I love that song so much. Totally. Um, So before we wrap up this uh, podcast, we, of course, have to talk about uh, this conspiracy theory that also happened at this time. At this time, people thought Paul was dead. Right, exactly. So so there were said to be three clues on the front cover as to why we have proof that Paul is dead. Yep. So uh, the order in which the Beatles walked was said to make reference to a funeral procession with John Lennon as, you know, dressed in white as the priest, Ringo in a black suit as the undertaker. Paul McCartney being barefoot as many corpses would have been buried. Right. And George Harrison as the grave digger. Right. And also Paul McCartney was out of step with the others and right. his eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So do you buy it yet? Um, no. Oh, like there was a famous woman who was known for doing like psychic predictions and she predicted that Kennedy would be shot and she predicted Paul McCartney would die. Also like the Volkswagen Beetle license plate has like the date that he was supposed to die in it. Um, yes. But Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney. You cannot convince me that that man died sometime. No, Avril Lavigne, you can probably check, check me with, but Paul McCartney, <laughs> no. Like, he's alive. No. He didn't, he's totally alive. He called Lenny Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz, and a woman at the VMAs one time. He is who he is. <laughs> so, an- another thing, like Nikki was saying, there's the Volkswagen Beetle on a car in the background with the number, uh, the license plate was LMW. 281F and LMW was taken to mean Linda McCartney weeps 
and 281F was interpreted as to referring Paul's age if he had lived. However, at the time of Abbey Road's release in 1969, he would have been 27, not 28. Right. So nice try, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, the last thing is that Paul McCartney was pictured holding a cigarette with his right hand. However, he was well known to be a left-handed person, suggesting that this person on the cover is an imposter. Paul McCartney's ambidextrous. He was forced to be by his grandmother because it was seen as bad for people to be left-handed, as with Ringo Starr. They are both ambidextrous. Baloney. Yes. Baloney. Yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it either. <laughs> you can't convince me Paul McCartney's not Paul McCartney. James Paul McCartney is James Paul McCartney. Definitely. Yeah, I... I... Uh, I don't believe it. I don't no. believe the conspiracy theory at all. No. I can be talked into a lot of them, but I, I just don't believe this is not... I don't believe Paul is dead. No. But when Paul is dead, you'll know it because you'll find a <sighs> puddle of a woman in West Lafayette, Indiana. When George yeah, Harrison I, died, I was a sophomore in college and I was messed up. Were you in high school? I was a senior, yeah. I hate your story when I'm like, I was this old. And you're like, I was a senior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um... Yeah, I don't know. When when Bowie died, I was a mess. So yeah, and was, Chris Cornell. Yeah, that all happened way too fast. But yeah, when Bowie died, I was oh, yeah, it was bad. I I I mean, I I I've been to the Dakota where where John was shot. It was just like I got the worst anxiety attack, like just standing in front of that building. Okay, that's weird. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when um, Yoko donated his stuff, and there's like blood on the glasses and the bag that his bloody clothes were in. And I, I couldn't handle it. Like I had, to, I freaked out. Yeah, it's a lot to handle. I, I, I guess I, because you know, John's my favorite Beatle, even though he's the problematic one. So I guess I'm, I'm in a way, I'm happy that he died before I was born because I always feel that way too. Because like then I'd have to explain. But I think if Paul's gonna be big though. Yeah, I think yeah. I think if John Lennon was still alive today, this is my honest gut thought. First of all, I think he would apologize for all the shit that he did. I don't think him and Yoko would still be married. I do no. think he, I do think he would still make music, but I don't I don't I don't think he would have been able to he would have been like I fucked up like that's who John was John would admit to his faults totally and he'd probably be with a dude because he was notoriously bisexual yeah and homophobic is, he hated himself well you know those those were different times it's not as acceptable exactly. <laughs> for well I mean just think because at this Paul and John was like one of the biggest rock stars alive at the you know in the late you know starting let's just say starting in this mid 60s on (laughs) so i mean it's like you know not everyone can handle that maybe he doesn't want that out in the spotlight um if you're interested in hearing more about his relationships with men i would look up um there's a lot of good stories about him and Stuart sutcliffe who was an original he was the original um guitarist for the beatles it was him, Drummer. it was Stu, and George, oh, and Paul, yeah. and John, and uh, Pete Best. I would look that up because they n- notoriously had a relationship with each other. It was a big deal. It was a thing. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm about to turn into a uh, pumpkin. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess we should end this. Normally, I ask for like the top three favorite songs, but I mean, how are we even going to pick? So maybe we can just skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I've told you every favorite song while I was doing this, but... For sure, I will say she came in through the bathroom window, Octopus's Garden, and um, Long and Winding Road, and I Me Mine. Those are my four, two from each album. There you go. So those are good places to start on those albums. But of course, I mean, I would just, as I always say, just listen to the whole thing, especially Abbey Road, because that's more of a, um, it's not really a concept record, but it, it kind of flows in that manner. 
So I guess to take us out of here, I just wanted to end this podcast with some lyrics from the song, The End. I thought that would be an appropriate end to our end. (laughs) I'm just going to say end again. (laughs) And so, of course, this is another great life lesson and just like such great lyricism. They say, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. I think we all need to remember that, especially in these current times, uh, in this divisive time in our in our culture. I think you know I've I've preached it before in <laughs> in this podcast, but uh, all you need is love, more love, more kindness, and I just love that lyric. To quote Paul McCartney, "Yes, Chris. Yes, I do think that's true." That's from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Chris Farley asked him if go. he believes that and Paul McCartney says yeah Chris yes I do think that's true <laughs> so um, let's see before we completely toss out the end of this podcast where can we find you on the internet Nikki I am all over the internet you can always find me on Twitter at needs adult I'm on there all the time I fleet shut up Seth um, <laughs> fleet, fleet. I, am, <laughs> I am on um, Instagram Nikki needs an adult um also, if you want to listen to Nikki Needs an Adult, it's a socially um, re- relevant and it's about progression of social issues. Um, I am on iTunes. I am on uh, Google Podcast. I am on iHeartRadio. I am on Pandora. I am on your aunt. Uh, if you say, Alexa, play Nikki Needs an Adult, I'll show up. So, yeah, I'm everywhere. Yeah, so definitely check out Nikki. She's the best. If um, if you're interested, there are some like makeup stuff like if you scroll way back if you go back to like the first two seasons i do talk a lot about makeup and i tweet about it too um but yeah also if you follow um seth as a person or as trouble trouble or as tfc i am a groupie i do like to hang out a lot with them so yeah she's one of our um really good friends with that we met through podcasting and um actually there is potential for us to meet one day because she lives uh, near TFC East. So um, uh, if, if you know, you know, but uh, yeah. So I just wanted to, of course, thank uh, Nikki for coming on the show, of course. And no, thank you for asking me to be on. Yeah. <laughs> th- thanks for bullying me into it. I mean, this has been fun. Honestly, I've like, when you were coming on, I was like so excited to do a whole episode about the Beatles. I took a Beatles class in college. I love them so much. So oh, they're amazing. This has been the, the most fun. And I am having, you know, having that fun with you. It just makes it more enjoyable. Thank you, Seth. <laughs> thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Trouble Trouble podcast. The theme music you heard at the top of the show was made by me. The logo was illustrated and designed by the amazingly talented queer artist, Will Jameson. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter, at the Will Jameson. This is an indie podcast, which means no commercials, at least for now. It also means that I can't use the clips from the album we discussed because my lawyers have advised against it. Copyright laws, am I right? The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe, tell a friend, and leaving a review. It really helps other music fans find this show. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, feel free to listen to my other podcast, Thanks for Coming, a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. I record that show with two of my best friends, Jamal and Stoney. You can find us at TFC Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's all I've got for you now. 
If you made it through the whole podcast, you rot. I'll see you at the next show in two weeks. Friday night, be there. With that, I'll see you next time at the show. And before I sign off, I would like to, of course, extend the invitation to Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Danny Harrison, Sean Lennon, to represent the Missing and Fallen Beatles, to come on the show. I'd love to interview you, pick your brains a little bit. Signing off, I'm your host, Seth. Rock on, young savior. Don't give up your hopes.